0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Don't Praise the Machine. This is episode number 52, and we're only going to give you things that are true. (laughs) 52, I'm talking about former Adelaide Crows Ruckman <laughs> and Premiership <laughs> Champion, Sean Wren. Whoa. We remember him for his knee reconstructions and we remember him for his incredible Ruckman work. Mm, Big well shout out to Ready? Sean Wren. I wonder if Sean Wren's on, what can we get, what's Sean up to these days? Can we get him on Cameo? I always remember he had such a high number, 52. Yeah. What do you think when you think 52? Well. um, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but it reminds me of
1: Area 51. (laughs) No, just kidding. Um, (laughs) Well, of course, the obvious thing is there are 52 weeks in a year. So now we've finally reached the point where the weekly podcast that we record could in turn be listened to somebody every single week for a full year. Wow. And and you could ring in the new year and then obviously you just start at number one again and do it again. Um, Well, yeah.
0: If if anybody's, I would say if anybody's listening to episode number fifty two is their first episode, why don't you make it a special resolution Mm. to improve your life? Mm. Listen to one episode of Don't Praise a Machine every week. Each week, head right back to episode number one. Yeah. And go all the way through, and then you can listen to this episode in at the end of March next year.
1: Yeah, April, beginning of April, twenty twenty three. By then, we'll probably have made a whole other year of podcasts. So you never have to worry about, you know, that anxiety that comes with not having enough good podcast yeah. content in the hamper, because you can always be like a year behind hamper, put hamper. Podhamper, Podhamper. By that time,
0: we might be. Um, by that time, we'll be exclusive to Spotify.
1: Yeah, presumably, or whatever. Um, whatever kind of you know libertarian wingnut forum <laughs> we've been we've been
0: we've been poached by. <laughs> well, welcome to episode number two hundred and five, and this yeah. is the fifth episode in our. Doomsday prepping. Bald Eagle FM. (laughs) I think I
1: was talking to you last week about uh, LinkedIn and it was prompted by this particularly confusing message that I received on LinkedIn. So when I first moved to Melbourne, it was 2012, beginning of 2012, I believe. And I was looking for work initially for a while when I got back. And I saw a couple of recruiters um, and, you know, you you have a sit down with them, you tell them about your qualifications and what you want to do and how much you think you might want to get paid and whatever. And then they ostensibly go off and, you know, put you into their database and, I don't know, find opportunities for you, although most of them are fairly uh, unhelpful in my experience. And uh, this particular person who I had a sit down with, in 2012, so it would have been not quite a decade ago, messaged me on LinkedIn to say, how's it going? Um, I just thought I'd reach out and see how, whether you'd kind of found an opportunity or whether you could still use my help. Wow. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, no, it's going okay. Thanks. I'm embarrassed now. And she she was like, okay, cool. I'll put it in our system that you no longer need my assistance. And I'm like, you could have reached out sometime in the last nine and a half years. Like I was, <laughs> it's very strange. Like, why did this person? It was like she had it on her to do list, and then she was retiring, and she's like, "I'll just see how John's going before I walk out the door." It was very, very <laughs> weird. And and it, anyway, it made me think about the kind of broader weird world of LinkedIn, which. I've never really, I mean, I've got a profile on there and I've had to sort of tweak it at different times and I've had a few communications with people on there, but I would say compared to some people, I'm a fairly casual user, but the whole thing kind of seems really sort of culturally interesting to me. So it's actually, as you might know, fairly old. It was established in, let me just check. 2003 it was so it was okay it's fairly old it was established in 2003 so you know predates a lot of modern social media platforms virtually 20 years that's right and uh and it still got over half a billion active users apparently and uh and a lot of people are saying I i was kind of reading up on it in preparation for this episode and there's a lot of funny commentary on it but a lot of people are saying as well that it's kind of taking the place of doing some of the things that Facebook used to do in a weird, more confined way because, you know, maybe 10 plus years ago, a lot of people wrote these long-winded statuses on Facebook and, you know, used Facebook as a means to kind of reach out to people. And that's something you're seeing less and less of in the sort of sub-boomer generations as they kind of shift away from it or use it as a tool to just kind of, stay broadly in touch with people but don't really get involved in, like, curating their profiles on Facebook, whereas people on LinkedIn, some of them seemingly quite obsessively are really into, like, you know, assiduously updating their profiles and also projecting this image of themselves. I mean, all of the, like, all of social media, you could say, is this kind of attempt to you know, reflect this image of ourselves back to ourselves, which is somewhat curated and idealised. But what I love about LinkedIn particularly is it's like that with a kind of nauseating, hyper-capitalist sort of hustle culture <laughs> focus. And, and I just think like it's attempts to kind of humanise. So it's done things like, you know, I mean, the, the classic thing is, like, work anniversaries, which is just not a thing. Yes. And, it, and work it's going, anniversaries. wish this person a work anniversary. And I'm like, <laughs> what kind of fucking Orwellian nonsense is that? I'm not going <laughs> to wish them a work <laughs> Happy work anniversary. And it, it's this kind of strange glorification. Five years in the system. Yeah, exactly. It's this sort of strange glorification of of labor and – People kind of—I
0: <laughs> I'd never, I I'd never thought of that, John. That's—I mean, it's funny that you mention that because, like, I see that work anniversary thing, and I'd never given it that much attention. Yeah, and now that you mention it, it is absurd.
1: Yeah, it's crazy, and they do things to try and sort of, you know, there's a lot of like, there's this kind of, um, like, a lot of a lot of commentators have commented on the sort of toxic positivity that you see on LinkedIn because it is this kind of attempt, in my view, to kind of like string up a bit of tinsel on the concrete face of capitalism. You know, it's like this sort of people people putting this, this long-winded, and often they're written in a very specific register, which is probably rooted in kind of Facebook speak, where people will set, use these very short declarative sentences to convey some sort of, you know, they think moving story about like I sat down with a job applicant and, you know, they turned out to be not at all what I've expected. So you just got to give people a second chance, or, or they'll say like, you know, like my kid had a had a band recital, and you know what I did? I told my boss I had to go to the recital because it's okay to have a life. And it's like, well, that's really nothing to congratulate yourself for. That's basically that's a level of kind of balance that we should all really expect as a bare minimum. But it's, it's this kind of like. It's this sort of attempt. It's to sort of I don't know. These people are like apologists for ugly, the ugly side of capitalism. And uh, my message to our listeners is: let's all just get rid of LinkedIn, or let's start having, let's start using it as a more honest forum to talk about the things that we don't like about our jobs, uh, or maybe <laughs> present a side of ourselves that's not as employable. <coughs> And let's just turn it on its head. Yeah. Again. It seems to me, because a lot of people will use it, understandably, when they're looking for work, as I have, to try and network and to project this kind yeah. of image of success and whatever. And there seems to be something like interestingly, sort of manifesty about that. It's like they think that by if I just kind of pretend to be this big dog for long enough, then you know the the the. Rest of my work community will accept that, and then I'll somehow just a job will just materialize. I mean, I can only assume there are people who have actually gotten decent job offers out of LinkedIn. It's never happened to me, sure, but it seems strange to me. This kind of people curating this like very, you know, I love my job, I love my work, I love like yeah, my professional identity, and I love. I love office culture and all these things which I think people should just be able to say like, look, we've we've created a system rightly or wrongly that eventually, hopefully we're all going to get a guaranteed minimum income and we can stop this charade. But for now, we've all got work-a-day jobs and that's fine.
0: Uh, it's uh, p- people talk a lot about how different people present on the various social media platforms, mm. and I suppose the two extremes are that you could have a Twitter account and a LinkedIn account. And if you think about how differently mm. people people behave on those different platforms, because yeah. like if you took your Twitter, if you took your Twitter self over to LinkedIn and on LinkedIn where you're presenting your professional. Uh, profess professional avatar, which which needs to earn money mm. and make you know and make a living and mm. survive, you know, through and gainful like, employ employment, yeah, um, or various uh, commercial opportunities. If you think about the fact that somebody might post, just I'm I'm oh, I just found out that it's my two year work anniversary at blah blah blah. Yeah, love this company so much; has been so rewarding and they post it and then you just take your Twitter self over there and you just go fuck you idiot and post <laughs> <laughs> exactly and then they write back they were like at you and be yeah. like haha real mature another <laughs> example of you being a cunt and then you and then you tweet back and just be like, oh, this is more <laughs> neoconservative bullshit. <laughs> crawl, crawl, why don't you crawl back under the hole yeah. that you came out of? You why fuck, you, pig. Why don't you
1: st- <laughs> stop <laughs> being a slavish apologist for capitalist <laughs> horse <shit. laughs> The um, I looked at a um, excellent Twitter page is that what you call it twitter i don't know if i can go a, on a tweet a thread i looked a twonk at, yeah who's a twash what do you call Oh, like you are looking at a twash i was looking at a twash <laughs> i was on twash, <laughs>
0: and uh a collection of tweets is a twash an account uh, yeah that's right okay. it's a, t- a, that's twish. a collective noun <laughs> I was looking at, yeah there was there was a tweesh that i was looking
1: at <laughs> that was a great tweesh guys well done um yeah, there's a thing, there's an account called Crap on LinkedIn, which is like right. very good for sort of isolating this sort of toxic positivity garbage. And it's got like, there's a whole bunch of examples, but one of them is this guy who's a CEO at a place called Hustler Agency, of course. And uh, okay. and he's going, I bought. he's just written this post, I bought her a coffee, no big deal. Then I grabbed a marker pen and wrote this on the side of the cup. I'm so impressed with your creativity and quality of work. We're really privileged to have you on the team. Thank you. She thanked me for the coffee, but didn't notice the message. And each line is in a separate paragraph in this kind of like, so it's this sort of haiku, which is a weird, recurring theme that you see a lot of these posts in. Later, I saw a a huge smile on her face. When our eyes met, she mouthed the words, Thank you. People want to feel that their work matters. It doesn't take much to show some appreciation. It's not about pay rises, bonuses, or company cars. All you need is a $4 coffee and a pen. And then (laughs) then it goes on. A person who feels appreciated will always do more than what's expected. Agree? And then he's obviously entreating you to (laughs) comment.
0: (laughs) Call to action.
1: Yeah, to which I would comment. No, actually, I think you probably should show your appreciation rather than with schmaltzy symbolism. Give that person a pay rise. Um, yeah. Anyway, so just just a little gripe there about LinkedIn, and I invite our listeners to share what are some of your experiences with LinkedIn. Do you think I'm being unduly cynical, which is something I have been accused of in the past? To be honest, uh, or or do you think this is an opportunity to turn the tide on LinkedIn and turn it into a, a more chaotic, free spirited, honest forum? <laughs>
0: Or just abandon it. Um, yeah. Uh, do you think uh, it's owned by Microsoft these days? Oh, Lincoln. is that right? Uh, so if you guys, you think we could really ruffle a few feathers mm. over there at Microsoft, you can get in touch at don'tpraise at AOL.com. Or you can always reach us on the Don't Praise the Machine Instagram page. Yeah. That's Don't, what is it, Jonas? Don't Praise don't the Podcast. Praise the Machine. I think the address is don't.
1: Underscore praise underscore the underscore machine.
0: I think it's got podcast in there too. Yeah, okay. The pod- as, our, as our social media manager, I expect you to be on top of all of that. I think these that's the handles.
1: bio. It's the podcast. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. We have, or maybe we have Don't Praise the Machine as the handle. Okay, well, yeah. can you catch us there as well. We love hearing from you and we reply to, we get our, uh, we get one of our team. To reply to all the emails (laughs) and correspondence that we we have. We get our intern who we found on LinkedIn
1: to, uh, (laughs) to respond to all of those emails.
0: Hey (laughs) John, yeah. (laughs) how do you keep the prices so low? You haggle. Come on, give us a go. (laughs) That's got nothing to do with this bit, uh, that's just (laughs) a little bit of an Easter egg for anybody who is watching Adelaide television commercials (laughs) (laughs) in, I think, probably the late 90s, early noughties. It's secondhand, Um, but you wouldn't know. But you wouldn't know. Hey, Joe, it was what was the, hey, jo- it was um, somebody's furniture and electrical. Who, what who was it? Adelaide
1: furniture and It was and Adelaide electrical. furniture and electrical. Top of Port Road, seven days a week. Days a week.
0: <laughs> so I've taken a couple of, uh, I've been back at airports in the last couple of weeks because mm. I did my marathon in, uh, on the island, island, on the Canary Island of grand canaria and then i was in london last week so I spent a little bit of time in airports again Mm -hmm. and they always strike me as funny old weird places airports Mm. where the general rules of like being out in public are kind of a bit higgledy piggledy and Mm. messed up and they're just just weird environments i always remember thinking this when i was um I once got a, uh, I got a flight to Singapore and then I had booked a budget flight, I think on Tiger Airways out of Singapore to Thailand. Right. And because this was in my earlier days of travel, I'd booked like the most budget flight that I can get, yeah. that I could get. And it was something like 10 hours after or 12 hours after I'd um, first landed from Adelaide to Singapore. Yeah. And so I had essentially like a whole evening in Singapore Airport, in mm-hmm. Changi. And it's, it was one of those times when some, you know, there's so many terminals and I went to one of the terminals and it was completely empty. But it's this huge room that normally during the day is just bustling with people taking flights. Mm. But because it was the evening, it was completely empty and it just had this kind of like post-apocalyptic feel to mm. it where... I was in there and yeah. was able to just walk around totally like a normal person, mm. and nobody, and, and then it, but and then nobody was there, and then suddenly I would just and it was <laughs> silent. Maybe there was some gentle Muzak playing, yeah, and it had that pleasant Singapore airport smell, yeah. And then I would just notice in a corner there was just uh, another um, airport guest asleep, <laughs> just like on the floor, yeah, and. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sort of cradling so their weird, bag. Yeah, and I just think this is such a weird place. It's so strange, and of, and of course, that kind of thing happens because everybody has gone through very tight airport security. Mm. So you, this weird thing happens where, you, when you get into airports after having gone through security, where everybody has. Much more of a sense of safety than you would. Like, mm. nobody's going to sleep at a fucking mall food court on the ground and going, Oh, this will be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, Wake but up, because, without my shoes. Yeah, exactly. I just, yeah, because everybody, and also, obviously, everything's, um, extensively uh monitored through mm. CCTV. Mm. You just feel like even though you're in a public space, yeah, you feel like you can just about you could just put on a pair of pajamas and yeah. just want, wander about in a daze gone. <laughs> uh,
1: there are literally yeah. people doing that. And it's I think it's yeah. also that it's this sort of liminal space which where the normal rules of society don't apply because you're kind of neither here nor there. You're in between in this little kind of, you know, this, this place that nobody really reflects on because they're all just trying to get to somewhere else. So yeah, etiquette kind of falls out, you know, and also you're, you're seeing a bunch of people who you have no personal or long term relationship with. You just kind of, you know, you've come from the opposite side of the world and I'll see you for 30 seconds. So I don't really care if you see me in pajama pants.
0: Yeah, and then you'll go to another part of the world and I'll go to another part of the world. Mm. It's so strange. Yeah. And I've heard, um, I have, I used to listen to a podcast called the, I think it was called the Cash Levy podcast with Cash Levy and TJ Miller. And they used to talk about um, this type of, that the ultimate kind of confidence that you could have <laughs> was what they had termed, airport confidence <laughs> and i guess this is particularly a thing that is that exists in the in america and they were saying how they are uh you're like 10 times more willing to engage a person in a physical altercation (laughs) uh once you've passed through airport security Mm. because you know that the other person doesn't have a gun yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so (laughs) so like if you were just on a street in la and somebody was giving you a hard time and yes and and, you know starting to front up to you Hmm. you might think oh fuck this person might have a weapon yeah they were see. They were saying that in an airport, they're just like, I reckon I can take this guy because because <laughs> whatever happens, he doesn't have a knife or yeah, a gun yeah, on yeah. him. So they called it airport confidence. <laughs> He's like, oh, I walked into that. I walked so they'd say something like, I walked into the party with airport confidence. Airport yeah, confidence.
1: It's true. It's like a a little utopia oasis for Americans used to gun culture.
0: Yeah, and then the other thing with them is. Obviously, they're really expensive mm. airports in terms of buying things. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything can be up to two times the price of mm. what it might be. I looked, at, I looked it up. Apparently, the most um, – can you guess what the uh, most popular bought item at an airport is? Oh,
1: that's a good question. Um, I, is it a food item or is it a non-food yes, item?
0: Yes, it's a food item. Mm. Is it a Big Mac <laughs> it's, it's very,
1: is it a bottle it of water?
0: Correct. Yeah, very okay. well done. It's a yeah. bottle of water. Bottles of water are the most uh, are the most often purchased things yeah. at airports. Right. Um, and apparently the reason that, one of the reasons that things are so expensive at airports is because they have to cover things like airport security hmm. and uh, apparently labor is a bit more costly because often you have to pay people a bit more to work. At airports, mm. apparently well, the wages are a little bit higher. Yeah, they're always isolated. Apparently, there's high construction costs hmm. uh, that need to be covered. Um, and I was reading as well that apparently, as you can imagine, everything has to go through security, even in the food stores. And yeah. you ha- in the post in the post nine eleven world, you have to keep uh, track of like. Every single knife yeah, that has okay. been used for, like, you can't just have knives going missing yeah. in your, like, Burger King restaurant for yeah, airport right. security.
1: Of course. Or even, like, containers that you might use for some untoward purpose, all that sort of stuff. I imagine they keep close tabs on.
0: I got a bit of this from thehustle.co. Uh, according to a report, airport retail is a $40 billion. Dollar per year business globally, and it's projected to grow to sixty billion. Wow. Um, Wow. This must be an old article. It says sixty billion by twenty twenty two. While brick and mortar retail continues to decline in the face of e commerce, airport sales are up seven percent over the past two years. I mean, this might be pre pandemic. Mm. Uh, And some three three point. This is pretty crazy. Some three point eight billion people pass through airports each year, and that figure is projected to double in the next twenty years. That's insane, isn't it? The reason that airports are great as well for luxury brands is uh, several folds. Mm. One is that because people in airports are enclosed and bored Mm. for an average of two hours, um, it's a great opportunity. People try to alleviate that boredom with shopping. Mm. So they'll wander around to retailers and then go, oh, maybe I'm bored. Maybe I'll buy a... Some perfume or a mm, Rolex. Stupid. Watch. And apparently, luxury luxury brands are there um, because not only can they capture business travellers who have a lot of money, and often business travellers are apparently, you know, so busy that they don't necessarily have time to get gifts for their family and loved ones mm. in the usual places. So they'll pick a little something up the duty free to give to little Tommy the latchkey kid who never sees daddy and you know you're having an affair with a woman in every port so yeah. you, better bring, you better bring some Britney Spears perfume home <laughs> to your baby mama because <laughs> you're a bad bad businessman
1: <laughs> you're a naughty naughty businessman
0: and um, apparently, there's just a lot of prestige att- um, uh, attached to having shops at in airports. So it's actually just also an advertising exercise oh. for those luxury brands. Is that which you never really think about, do you? The fact that a shop could exist essentially like a giant billboard mm. for the brand, <clears throat> like because it, a physical billboard, an interactive billboard for the brand. When yeah, you have people captured and bored. When you're bored for two hours, you go and sort of wander through a yeah. uh, a. Um, a Hugo Boss or mm. a uh, or something mm. like that, and you just experience the brand, mm, Dior or Chanel or bloody Burberry or something. Pa- Ra- but Ralph, I'm in the Ralph Lauren shop, and I love the little horsey man. Yeah, I love popping up my collar, um, and <laughs> and
1: uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess it's like what they want to do there is just
0: associate the brand with this kind of cool jet-setting lifestyle. Yeah. Of course the other thing is that people who are in airports tend to have disposable they have more money it's mm. not just like like if you're in an airport even though there's obviously budget flights these days you know people tend to have a bit more money so that's yeah that's true to be
1: yeah i think one of my favorite airport memories i was scanning my mind just as you were talking for for favorite moments and there have been weird ones where which have been very out of step with that kind of you know, because everyone, I think, I think you can kind of get a bit. Like you sometimes you feel cool when you're in an airport because you're like, well, this is cool." I'm like, I'm going places, and I'm you know either
0: yeah, I going mean, a on kid, or it's coming what you back. Dreamed
1: of. Exactly, I'm I'm going on an adventure, and there are people from all over the world. And particularly post COVID, I felt like just going to Singapore. I felt very accelerated being at the airport, but the con- complete antithesis of that was when I. Uh, was in Paris and I got to the airport and then I, just as I arrived to realize that I had worn through one of my crutch tips. And so And one of my myphetamines, that was pre Fetamin wow. days. And, oh, uh, Okay.
0: And, Of course, because uh, I wouldn't expect a aphetamine to just let you down like that. No, nah, the, the
1: patented galvanized rubber, you would have to, fucking, <laughs> you'd have to stick it in a jet
0: engine to wear through that. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Fetterman's Fetterman's crutch tips They won't let you down
1: <laughs> And so I was just like And I was trying to They they just had it It must have been like Charles de Gaulle Airport They had You know Miles and miles of tiles That you had to walk across To get to your gate oh. Which I had to kind of cross Very gingerly So as not to fall over And I was just thinking <laughs> Man this is as like Lame as I've ever felt In an airport
0: And uh <laughs> Just clickety clacking across the tiles
1: Apologising to people Slipping For for the (laughs) pathetic spectacle that I was making of myself
0: Excusez-moi, excusez-moi, (laughs) excusez-moi Je
1: suis désolé (laughs) 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 Yeah Um, I particularly And yeah, the the other thing that I don't know, are you somebody who likes to drink on a plane? Because some people, I think, make the best of that too Yeah,
0: yeah. I have had a couple of experiences of um, of drinking. On the most memorable, I actually told this story when I was in London over the weekend because I was with my dear friend Samantha. Mm -hmm. Um, I I was uh, lucky enough to um, accompany Samantha uh, when she went with her wonderful family. Mm. Uh, Shout out to the cook to the cooks Um, when we went on a cruise. around uh the caribbean and the we flew in and out of miami and when we were leaving miami Mm. it was the end of this quite excessive uh, period of being on cruise ships and um, like resorts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we had the fucking best day in Miami, just me and Sam jumping around and eating food and drinking loads. And I uh, fucking love Miami. It was mm. so cool. Like all the art decor and the palm trees. Mm. And mm. I felt like I was Tommy Vercetti in GTA Vice City. <laughs> and I was playing that yarn hammer song. Do, 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 do. Playing all the eighties classics, and then uh, we got to the airport, and I think Sam, I think we must have been—we were either in a lounge, like mm-hmm. the BA lounge—I mm-hmm. think we were in a lounge—and we were just like ordering fucking bloody Marys and something else. <laughs> and at some point, I looked up at the departure screen, yeah, you know, to find out where when we had to go to our gate or whatever, and it was not happening. And I turned to Sam and i said look i'm way too wasted to work out how to get on this flight so just so you just so you know yeah, i need you in to be responsible for this cuz i'm out mm. and um and then i got on the plane and the air hostess was kind enough to let me know that there was a free row and i went and lay down mm. and i essentially slept the entire way from <laughs> miami to London and it was the, it was the great, like I went to sleep in Miami and I woke up in in London. Wow. I don't think I woke up like at all during the flight because <laughs> I dream. was just really pissed. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I remember, Um, have you ever used, uh, have you ever had to use a vomit bag on a plane?
0: No. Mm. Have you, you're quite a, you're quite a I'm notorious a little, vomiter. I'm so a little vomity. Previously on the show, lot- we've
1: discussed my... Ability to vomit without sticking my fingers down my throat—it's uh, one of my special you're a little, skills. you little pukey Petraeus. <laughs> I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit of a chucky e. cheese man, but uh,
0: yeah, I, I think. <laughs> yeah. Can I just see we're if gonna, anybody out there in the DPTM about that? Anybody in the DPTM community that has a little bit of a gag reflex? <laughs> there you go, guys. <laughs> I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Should've done a pukey puke warning. Um, so yeah, you've i have had to use several them, sick bags.
1: I had to use several but in, in one sitting, if that's the right term. Oh I wow. was I was at a Several litres. <laughs> several liters of content.
0: And uh I was at a um We probably should just do a little... I mean, I'm sure people have worked it out by now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But John's going to tell one of his foul stories. (laughs) John's foul stories. John's foul stories. (laughs) So if anybody... What a foul story. So if anybody... If anybody has a bit of a weak stomach, you might want to skip to the end bit. Yeah. Go on, John. Tell okay, your foul thanks. story.
1: Thanks. I do, I do love a foul story. <laughs> um, uh, we were flying back from Port Douglas in the um, far sure. north Queensland, and uh, we'd been on a family holiday. I was probably 11 or so, and uh, I was at the Qantas Lounge, courtesy of my my old man. And uh, I just loved the sort of the fact that you could have, you know, unlimited Arnott's assorted oh. biscuits and various other swe- <laughs> sweet treats that I wasn't it's allowed gorgeous. at
0: home. Hammering Monte
1: Carlo's. <laughs> yeah, I was really, I was just shoveling Kingston's into my mouth, and they all, <laughs> they'd all probably been like sitting there in the tepid air, just absorbing everyone's bacteria um. for the last t- 36 hours. So something went awry and I basically came down with food poisoning and uh, it coincided with the fact that we had to, we were going to go back to, we were going to fly directly back to Adelaide, but instead we flew via Darwin and we had to spend a night in Darwin because there was a cyclone. And um, okay, so we got on a very small plane, which was diverting us to Darwin and there was like very stormy conditions So it was a really rough flight And I just remember like kind of Bouncing up and down on this flight Sick as a dog Vomiting into a Vomiting into a sick bags the whole way And then like kind of Shamefacedly sort of Handing full bags To the airport st- to, the, to the flight attendants Oh god it was horrendous <laughs> And then, and then that was that was one of the worst experiences, flying experiences that I've had. And it reminds me actually while I'm on the subject of another foul story, which has uh, happened to my friend, my, my brother Tom's friend, who perhaps I won't name on the show, but uh, right. um, he was coming back from uh, North Africa actually. Uh, and he... Must have caught something on the trip which started to sort of set in as he was getting onto the flight, realized that he had like a you know gastrointestinal emergency, and went to the bathroom and locked the door behind him before the flight had oh, even no. had even taken off and so then the flight starts like you know the flight staff starts saying like sir you've gotta uh you've gotta exit because we're gonna take off, and he just knew that. The situation that he was in was not one that he was going to be able to extricate himself oh, from. And then no. they became more and more insistent and started sort of banging on the door. So so we're going to take <sighs> off. And he's just going, uh, I can't, you know, I can't leave. I can't. If I exit the room for more than like a minute, then something catastrophic is going to happen. So, uh, So eventually they just took off with him still in the toilet and then he spent the entire flight. Just kind of in, oh. incredibly unwell in the toilet, and then landed in London, and uh, wow, and I guess kind of went home with his tail between his legs. And I and I uh, thank whatever gods may be whenever I get on a flight, and that doesn't happen to me because that just sounds like one of the uh, worst travel experiences you can have.
0: coming up to seven o'clock here and the sun's rising i'm about to go home you've been listening to the late night shift and if i'm dreaming don't wake me tonight before i go i'm about to take one more request on don't praise the machine good morning you're on the air good morning and then you have to then you have to say (laughs) do you mind you have to say do you mind if i wake you tonight
1: do you mind if i wake you tonight
0: is <laughs> that a request, a request.
1: <laughs> And then you well,
0: have to go Would you play crazy for me? Yes, can, can you say uh, can so we get it exactly right? Well, is it, does, it, does, it, does she say well first, I think. She, she says well, yeah. and then can you play well,
1: crazy? Well, can you play crazy for me?
0: Ding a jing a jang Ding a a you've been in me I've got a pocket full of holes That's another reference to Ice House Crazy <laughs> which is uh, if a song could be friend of the show, yeah it's the music video of Crazy by Ice House featuring Ivor Davies pretending to be a Sydney late night radio host and it doesn't make any sense because he's, he's in Ice House. Uh, but he's also the radio DJ because <laughs> you'd th- you think is he playing is he playing a radio host? Yeah. But then she but then she asks him to play his own song. She says, <laughs> and then he just switches into being in the band, and then he just switches into being the band with his jodpaz on. She goes, "Will you play crazy for me?" And then he has this kind of sort of sh- like conflicted, shocked look on his face. It doesn't mm. make any sense. She goes. Well, can you play crazy for me? Jink it, jink it, Jill. And he sort of like looks at the at the phone and goes, Oh, I don't know what's, you know, he doesn't know what to do. It makes no sense, but it's a <laughs> fucking excellent song. Yeah. I love it's kind Crazy of, by Ice House so a, much. It's got a bit of like wrap up rap
1: esque kind of fourth wall nuttiness about it. Because it? <laughs> it's like, What are you actually <laughs> saying
0: here? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Ivor Davies is a friend of the show. He mm, we love you, Australian icon. Ice House. We love, we love great Southern Land, and we love crazy. And we love Electric Blue, and he also Sk- I found out through doing a bit of research. He did. He was. He wrote the soundtrack to. Um, uh, he wrote the soundtrack to Master and Commander, the oh, Russell Crowe film. That's yeah. odd. It's, uh, scored by Ivor. Hmm.
1: Friend of the show. Ivor Davies from I wonder if he knew. I wonder if he knew Crowy and he was like, come on, give him a give him something to do.
0: I bet. I bet. I think um Russell knows all the hip Australian yeah. New South Wales people. All cool Sydney people hanging out together. It's Russell Crowe. and Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. It's Paul Hogan. Mm. It's the Hemsworth. Oh man, imagine uh, being a fly on the wall at that party. Now, you have a special outro? That's ice house related? <laughs> that was the that was the condition. <laughs> we we spoke about this earlier and you promised.
1: <laughs> no, I don't I don't really have anything. I was just offering to do the sign out, but I did make up a little poem earlier, which is which goes like this. Okay. When the words on your screen say don't praise the machine, that's a podcast. When, <laughs> okay. when the app hits your app with the touch of a tap, that's a podcast. And it's supposed to obviously be a play on That's a moray.
0: That's a <laughs> uh, Excellent. Okay. I only then came I'm up with say... that about
1: 20 minutes before the podcast started, okay. so maybe
0: I'll it shows. flesh it out into a song <laughs> next Okay, I'm going to do the outro, but I'm going to say, thanks everybody for tuning in to Don't Praise the Machine. This has been episode number 52. I've been your number one pod host, Alexander Holland, and sat next to me digitally as he is every single week. It's my number one pocket pod parcel, <laughs> Pomp Malonka. Punk Malonka. <laughs> we'll catch you next week at the podcast. <laughs>